You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It's Wednesday the 27th of October. It's a little grey here in TW11, starting to feel a bit autumnal. Everything going on this morning, so much to get through. We'll be talking, of course, about the Breeders' Cup pre-entries due out later. And I'll be speaking to James Fanshawe, trainer of Ordaria, the defending filly and mare turf champion. He brings you news of the jockey booking for her as well. We'll also be reflecting on what now is left of the European challenge for the Melbourne Cup. No sooner... Had I interviewed Ishmael Mohammed last night, then away he goes. Away he went, I'm afraid, with a, a tendon injury, which is wretched luck for them. That uh, takes the European Challenge down even further. Big and important jump racing this weekend. We talk about Manella Indo's comeback in Ireland and also whether Surname has got anything left, the once highest rated chaser in Britain. I'll be talking to his assistant trainer Harry Derham who talks me through all the big Nichols trained horses for the staging post handicaps during the course of the first part of the jump season as entries for the Paddy Power Chase at Cheltenham and also the Ladbrokes Trophy at Newbury are released. J.A. McGraw will be dropping in from Hong Kong as he does every Wednesday. Uh, lots to get our teeth stuck into as regards domestic news today as well. Paul Hannigan's made an intervention into the debate about weighing room culture. We'll be talking about that. We'll also be talking about what the latest BHA projected data that seems to have been released does for the case of the National Trainers Federation uh, and ARC in their prize money row. But first of all, Lee Mottishead from the Racing Post. Um, data has been released today of a more fundamental kind, in a sense, in the attendances in 2021 relative to 2019 pre-pandemic since crowds have been allowed back have fallen across the board by around about 15 percent so to start off should we be worried about this i think we should to an extent nick um this follows a a column i penned on on monday which has gone down a sort of slightly different direction in the sense that i welcomed the fact that Cheltenham had such a very healthy attendance on Saturday. They had a record attendance for that day, that October Saturday. Anyone who'd sought to find accommodation in Cheltenham for that meeting would have thought they were trying to find a room during the middle of March. It was so hard to find rooms. And I think that highlighted how popular racing at Cheltenham is and how keen people have been to go back there. But elsewhere, the story clearly hasn't been the same. So Racing Post, my colleague Jack Haynes has done a piece today that's led on the front page, looking at attendances and staff issues. As you say, Nick, numbers down by about 15%. It's slightly complicated because sometimes a meeting like Glorious Goodwood would fall in different months, July or August. But David Armstrong, chief exec of the RCA, concurs that crowds have been running, he says, at 80 to 85% of the 2019 number. Now, he says that is pretty much in line, maybe even slightly better with what they had anticipated. And that early bookings for 2022 for the major meetings are looking good. I think you also have to add into the fact that Ascot's figures are probably bringing many others down because Ascot's numbers have been very disappointing, I think, at face value this year. A card like the Shergar Cup, I made the point in the column, which has had 30,000 people and around that number in previous years had 11,000 people. 
this year. So way, way down. Ascot would say that they haven't really been chasing racegoers and haven't been heavily marketing fixtures in these first few months of crowds coming back and they're trying a more gradual approach. But yes, I think the numbers do have us do have some cause for concern though. You'd want to see slightly better numbers, but I think it's still I think it's still early days. I think perhaps a more immediate problem is that race goers, customers on race courses have been finding um problems in terms of getting drinks, getting meals. Um the, the, we, we talk a lot in racing about staff shortages and we generally mean racing staff, but at the moment there are real problems in getting staff to work on race courses. I know people who went to Ascot on Champions Day that had significant queuing um, travails, people waiting 45 minutes for a drink or for food. Uh, in fact, Nick Smith, a senior figure at Ascot Racecourse, acknowledges that himself and says that the experience there wasn't good enough, but it hasn't just been Ascot, it has been elsewhere. I think there are hopes that that is getting better now. Um, but but I think for some race courses, it, it's not been just a, it's not been a problem merely with with getting customers onto race courses. It's been, it's been getting people to serve those customers. So things clearly are tough at the moment. We have to hope. And I think there's a good reason to hope that things will get better over the coming weeks and months. Now, how many paying customers? were going to go racing was not really a concern of the debate as to whether there should be nine race cards on the all-weather during the course of the winter, which we debated hotly on this podcast during the course of last week because paying customers are not part of uh, that enterprise's funding model, really. Um, but there's been an an interesting... Well, is this another leak from the BHA, uh, Lee? There's been <laughs> an interesting publication uh, in your paper of uh, data pertaining to this that 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 appears to sort of um that, that appears to undermine the case put forward by those who wanted it i.e arc and uh, and the sort of senior members of the horseman's group i suspect that this is a this is an instance of um not so much a leak but trainers who were at meetings in lambourne and newmarket held um by the the uh horseman's group uh, President Chairman um, Charlie Parker and Martin Crudders, Chief Executive of the uh, Arena Racing Company. They held meetings with trainers in Newmark and Lambourne following the collapse of those talks between the two sides over um, increased prize money for increased uh, race, num- race numbers on, on, on cards. They held meetings to try and talk that through. Um, what is interesting is that Dan, Ku- Dan Kubler, um, uh, a very uh, progressive trainer who I think is a one of the one of the game's real thinkers and an impressive individual. He has spoken to the Racing Post uh, in today's edition, saying that within those meetings, what wasn't presented to trainers were the BHA projection projections of the effect that nine race cards would have on on the all weather program on field sizes during those winter months when ARC wanted to increase race cards to nine race meetings uh, in return for the extra money. And what Dan says is that the the data there was presented in quite a, a fudgy way and that it didn't highlight that once you get to the turn of the year in particular, Jan, February and March, that BHA projections shows, show that field sizes would really have dropped and particularly significantly towards the end of that that all-weather winter period. Um, And I think it does strengthen the position that was taken by the National Trainers Federation and the Professional Jockeys 
Association. I say this has been a a debate in which it has been easier, as Lydia Hitzel said last week, to make that case that says we're going to give you more money, whoop-de-doo. But I think if you're taking a longer-term view, you probably would be persuaded that increased field sizes and changes to the sports rules that would permit that would be a dangerous thing. And I think the BHA projections that weren't clearly presented, it seems, to trainers at those meetings in Newmarket and Lambourne very much back up that opinion. Uh, Paul Hannigan, the former champion jockey, has made an intervention today into the debate surrounding um, what is right and what is wrong in terms of how jockeys interact in and out of the weighing room, Lee. He has indeed. So Paul Paul Hannigan, a very respected member of the weighing room, a senior member, a long-standing member and a former champion jockey. He contacted the Racing Post. He wanted to get his perspective across on this one. I think it's important to stress that Paul Hannigan does make clear he has no insider knowledge of the the situation that has kicked off that debate, i.e. the one between Bryony Frost and Robbie Dunn and Bryony Frost making a complaint to the BHA about Robbie Dunn's behaviour. We're still awaiting a hearing on that one. Hannigan says he wasn't, isn't aware of that particular case, has no details, but in a wider sense, he makes two points he argues that um, what some people might be inferring as bullying is actually senior jockeys cautioning younger jockeys about how they should ride in races because Hannigan has very strong things to say about how um, interference on race courses is increasing he says and I quote him here some of the kids who are coming through nowadays have got no respect for their safety or that of others around them And he says that sometimes jockeys having strong words with other jockeys is the only way of getting that point across. He says, in all my years riding, I've never seen the interference regime being so ineffective. It's getting to the stage where people are interfering in every race. And he says, I think that's down to the BHA and the rules and penalties not being severe enough. Um, So Hannigan is making two points here. One is that maybe what people think of as bullying is not bullying. And two, the BHA has got to go harder. on those interference rules, he says respect is at an all-time low in the weighing room. And by that, I think he means young riders respecting senior riders. So lots of points that that Hannigan is making. And I think he comes at it from a, a, a good place. But as I say, he makes the point himself. He isn't aware of, of this individual case. Mm-hmm. And it's the individual case that is the matter yeah. at hand here. And I think we also have to say that whilst people might believe what they have done is not bullying there are two sides to every story and key is what the person at the other end of that behavior feels how does that person feel does that person feel that they have been bullied or intimidated um and of course it all goes this 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 all links on as well nick to it to a subject that's been discussed across the pod this week and that's the pga intervention into this debate and and them calling for this this matter between Frost and Dunn to be scrapped. I think like David Yates and Cornelius Lysett, who've already been on the pod this week, they were very much of the view that that is would be a, a dangerous and a wrong thing to happen. I completely agree. I just want to just draw one thing, um, Nick, if, if I if I may, just the, the PJ referred to the code of conduct that they have introduced and well done them for introducing it. 
Um, but within it, they talk about um, behaviours that might be deemed to be outside of acceptable behaviour, which would break their own court code of conduct. They then have a section on reporting it, in which says reporting is to be made to a member of the PGA team. I would suggest that the wording of that is slightly flawed in that it should be down to any individual to report any bad behaviour to whoever that individual wants to report it to. If an individual has no faith in the PGA team, for whatever reason, they should feel completely at liberty to report it to the BHA or to anybody else. Um, and I think trying to trying to direct people in, down one avenue is is slightly misguided. And I, and I wonder if that particular part of the code of conduct should be reworded. Well, lots going on off the track, but we're here for what's on it. And no sooner had I interviewed Ishmael Mohammed yesterday about his Melbourne Cup horse, Away He Goes, than the horse was taken out with a tendon injury. Uh, the race has been beset with all sorts of little issues, Lee, uh, and this takes the European contingent down to two. Yeah, real shame. Um, our, our representation, international representation, was light enough as it was, as it already, as you, as you said, Nick, but we've lost Away He Goes. Um, a blow for James MacDonald as well, the jockey, who is one of those riders who gained special dispensation to go from Sydney to Victoria to ride in the Melbourne Cup. Well, on oh. the eve of the Cox Plate, he lost his mount in that race, Zaki, and now he's lost his mount in the Melbourne Cup away he goes. I'd expect him to find a substitute, though. He's so uh, highly regarded in there. And just looking ahead to the, the race now, Nick, we're not that far off. Um, the great race, the Melbourne Cup, a flat race I probably adore more than any other. I would long to be in Melbourne uh, right now, but it is looking a particularly strange Melbourne Cup. If you look at the, the last four fit states, they're only just going to have enough horses to make a full field. There were 35 left in it at, at that point. Um, I can't ever recall a Melbourne Cup where you've had a horse trading as short as five to four as in, in incentivized this close to the cup it's got a very strange feel to it um and i it, it, it's it's one that looks like no melbourne cup i can ever remember not just because of the lack of internationals but i can guarantee nick that at 4 a.m our time on tuesday morning i shall be sat in front of a screen watching it a goodness knows what time that is in in del mar but that's where <laughs> i'll be and frankly heaven knows what time i'll be trying to get these podcasts out but anyway that's a problem for next week this is for now breeders cup week next week we're expecting the pre-entries later we expect Ordaria to be amongst them she's one of three defending champions from europe going back to the breeders cup the others are tanawa and glass slippers i've been speaking to her trainer james fanshaw and i began by asking him as last year whether she was peaking at the right time for her defense <laughs> That's a that's a million dollar question, uh, Nick. But she seems to you know she, she was a bit quiet after after the opera. Um, you know, it, it was very as been well reported. It was very heavy ground in, in Longchamp, and um, you know, it took a took her a, a, a week to get over that. But she, she seems really nice and bright, and she worked last Saturday. and was very happy with her. So. Um, you know, she's not one you, this time of year you overwork anyway, but she seems really bright and well. James, she's had to race on very soft ground the last couple of times. Do you think a return to a faster surface will suit her? When she won the um, uh, the, the British Cup last year, um, it was fast ground. You know, they both the track record. Um, and, um, you know, I was, I was concerned before the race. Um, she, before that, she'd she, she won on firm ground. She's a very good mover. She's got a big, long action. But um, as they say, you know, usually good horses go on any ground but um, you know I, I just think 
you know, she is better um, on better ground, and she hasn't had that this year since Ascot. You know, she she when she was second to love at Ascot, it was it was it was um, on the quick side, but um, since then, um, um, it was last two visits to France, it was very soft ground. So, you know, I'm hoping hoping that will bring out um, a bit more improvement to that. And James, who's who's going to ride her? You've had William Buick and Yuritz Mondizabal on her this year. Well, um, William William uh, rode her at. Um, um, he rode at Royal Ascot, and um, he actually won the um, Phillies and Mares in 2017 when it was last won at um, uh, Del Mar. So um, we've um, we've uh, asked him to ride her. That's right, William Buick, who rode Wahida to win the the, the Philly and Mare turf. Then it's a different distance this time. It's it's 11 furlongs. Would that extra furlong be a problem for her from last year? Well, it was just over nine last year. Chief, you know, I think it was. Um, it was the last sort of half furlong that um, Odaria really stayed. Um, there's a lot of stamina on her dam side. Um, you know, she's she, we never run over a mile and a half, but um, uh, I think on quick quick ground round those bends, it shouldn't be a problem. Uh, James, I, I wanted to ask you. There's been a, a lot. Uh, in the in the press this morning about a slight dip in attendances since 2019 and we know that Covid's probably got quite a bit to do with that some staff shortages on the race courses we've had the debate last week about uh, prize money and uh, an extra race cards I, I, I wanted to pick your brain you've been training for for a long long time now and, and with with great success what what do you think are the key ingredients to to putting on a a, a good spectacle for for the public? And I'm not I'm not just talking about Champions Day or, or the Derby. I'm sort of talking about racing from from Monday to Friday. Well, it's um, I have been training for a very long time, and I've tried to avoid politics as much as I possibly can. So, but I think well, something that really struck me. Obviously, we I went to Ascot for champ for Kipco. Champions Day, which is the most wonderful days racing in the sunshine and the best horses there and a big crowd. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, and but I just it's all become rather mundane. And I went to Pontefract on um, a Friday about uh, three weeks ago. We never do much good at Ponty, but I went. Um, we had um, Philly running there. The owners were going, and I was keen to see a run, so I went up to Ponty. And I couldn't believe the welcome we got. It was absolutely wonderful to go there, you know. Uh, and the, the track was well looked after. It's been plenty of investment. You're we're welcomed at the gates. The race goers were actually familiar with um, this elderly fellow, elderly trainer who came in and uh, you know asked how Odaria was and everything. It was just a, even though we didn't win, it was just a really nice place to go racing. And uh, because you were made to feel welcome, and there was obviously a lot of pride in the track, and um, and. And the way that the place was run, and I was really impressed, and it made a big difference to going to some other tracks where it's always thinking, right, we've got a eight race card, and uh, um, and here we go. So um, you know, that, I think you've got to make people feel welcome, and also there's got to be pride in the in the track, and and uh, uh, and like they want you to come, and uh, they're pleased to see you, and um, and and probably most importantly, there's some prize money. James Fanshawe there. Another big ride for William Buick to pick up in the Breeders' Cup. Lee, his, his book looks very good. Yeah, it really does because Charlie Appleby uh, and the Godolphin team are sending, or not set to send, with, we think they're going to send a particularly strong squad uh, across those two days at Del Mar. Um, they would have horses like Yabir, one would expect, in the turf. We've already heard that Master of the Seas is very much being trained towards the mile. They'll have other horses across other races. And we all know what a great year that Charlie Appleby has had, not just domestically, but very much internationally, and particularly 
in North America. Mm. This time of year, he will be mounting a very strong challenge in Australia, in, in, in Victoria, Melbourne, where he's had a great spring carnival record. Um, that's not happening this year for reasons that have been widely discussed, but certainly the Breeders' Cup could be another great international meeting for Appleby and Godolphin and indeed Buick this year. Yeah, Buick. So to add James Fanshaw's or Daria to his likely rides on Yabia, Space Blues and Modern Games, at least two of whom could start favourites. The other point I just wanted to pick up, I, I asked James Fanshaw because he's a he's a wise head. He's been around a long time and he, he he likes to train nice horses to run in nice races. But yeah, he has experience of the of the day to day, too. And I, I was struck by what he said about Pontefract and, and making an effort for the public and for the and for the participant. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't think he would have used those words by mistake, Nick. He's clearly uh, making a point. Um, now, whether he is is right about um, other race courses, perhaps not showing the the dedication that Pontifact show. I don't know. He very possibly possibly is right. He would have direct experiences that I wouldn't do. So what he says is really interesting. I think it's also interesting, too, because I thought there was a particularly unpleasant thing um, it was sometime last year, Nick, when there was lots of debates about prize money as racing came back out of COVID. And there was one high profile northern owner who on social media used a particularly abusive and unpleasant word about Norman Gundle at Pontifract. Norman has run Pontifract for, well, I think he would not be upset if I said an awfully long time. Um, and I think if you reference any race course where you think they do do a proper job to try and provide the best prize money for connections and the best facilities and the best everything really i think pontifact tend to be right up towards the top of that list they really do take i mean you can't say anything, you can't say anything nasty about norman gundle the man you actually, if no. you cut him open he bleed pontifract for goodness sake absolutely you know it would have been it would have been like saying anything nasty about Dame Thora heard when she was still alive. There are just some people who are untouchable, Nick, and Norman Gundle is one of those. So um, I, I thought the, the the blows he took last year were hugely unfair, and I think the the words of praise from James Fanshawe are entirely fair. Uh, it's a bit like saying anything bad about Stradivarius, who stays in, <laughs> who stays in training next year when he'll be qualifying for his bus pass. Yeah, funny enough, the, 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 almost the most critical things that were said about Stradivarius in this year were, were said by his owner Bjorn Nielsen. Although he meant them nicely, he was after the the Prix de Cadran. I remember being stood with him in the, in the Longchamp Winners' Enclosure, and he was just using that analogy of the the boxer who he thought maybe you know you get those boxers that think that they still have it when they really don't, and other people can see that they don't. And he didn't want Stradivarius to be one of those boxers. I actually raised that with John Gosden after the. The, the the champions long distance cup on on champions day. and he he said well no he he would have used a tennis analogy and that he sees Stradivarius more of as, as a Federer uh, who keeps coming in for a fight as opposed to a boxer and I thought then that John Gosden was a not at all minded to retire Stradivarius so long as he felt that in the week or two after Ascot Stradivarius was telling him that he wanted to stay in training that inevitable that that would seem to have been the case they're getting all the right signals uh, i think it's great news that stradivarius stays in training next season he'll have one more crack at uh, emulating yates and winning the gold cup for a fourth time but they have now made put a clear marker down in the sand 
if he gets the Goodwood Cup and he tries to win that again, that will be his swan song. Um, but fair play. It's we dangerous. Won. It's like Tony Blair, isn't it? Once you've named the day. <laughs> so well, it's possible. And, and, and perhaps True Shan is the Gordon Brown or perhaps there's a Gordon Brown elsewhere that is looking to um, to take the crown. I mean, to be fair, Stradivarius well, no longer has that crown, does he? You, we, we saw it in the Gold Cup, subjectivist and since then. True Shan, uh, he's been beaten by a number of horses, but he remains one of the most popular performers on the flat and it's therefore great that we see him uh, in training again next year and just a reminder that uh, subjectivist owner jim walker said they were aiming to get him back on the race course next year on this podcast last week so it could be subjectivist trushan stradivarius in a an old but good stayers division next well, year and and also nick you, you also spoke to julian richard watson this week didn't you and scope they're talking Ooh. about him as a as, so that division is going to be mouth-watering next year Tis and it kind of leads us fairly seamlessly onto the jumpers, really, because they're around about as long. And Minella Indo, the defending gold cup champion, makes his reappearance this weekend. A Jack Kennedy retains the ride, which I guess Lee, with Rachel Blackmore likely to have to ride Aplutar if he ends up in the gold cup again this year. It sort of makes sense, really, doesn't it? I think that's absolutely right. Nick. Yeah, so Rachel will be riding Aplutar uh, almost certainly. Yeah, Haydock in the Betfair chase when he makes his seasonal reappearance. Henry de Bromrad has made clear. That if these two horses have to meet before Cheltenham, then so be, and that has to be a possibility given that the the normal course for Ireland's Gold Cup candidates are those two races at Leopardstown over Christmas and then at the Dublin Racing Festival. It seems sensible for Jack Kennedy to be Kennedy to retain the ride on Manila and Indo, and heck, he won the Cheltenham Gold Cup on the horse, so it would seem pretty hard to take him off the horse and um, the return of Minella Endo in a, in a really interesting uh, champion chase, Labrick's champion chase at Dan Royal on Saturday in which horses like uh, Frodon are also set to appear on a card in which Envoy Allen is also likely to make his, his reappearance. We, we really are now in the jump season. Perhaps there won't much talk of it when you're in Delmar next week, Nick. I don't imagine that sort of Bob Baffert and his mates are wildly obsessed with the return of the jump season, but I certainly am. Bob's pumped for Exeter on Holden Gold Cup there. <laughs> Other names to reappear this weekend include Surname, who was once the highest rated steeplechaser in training, rather lost his way last back end. I've been talking about him and a lot of other uh, Paul Nichols stars potentially for, for this autumn, uh, horses who might win big steeplechases with the entries for the Paddy Power Gold Cup and the Ladbrokes Trophy at Newbury out this week with assistant trainer Harry Derham. And I began by asking him, whether uh, CNAME still had any ability left. Morning, Nick. Um, well, hopefully he's got all of his ability left. I mean, obviously he's not getting any younger, but um, he's not been a horse that's raced an awful lot. My view has always been with him is the engine has always been there. It's just his, it's just in, in his head. Um, his record fresh is very, very good. Um, he's certainly shown all the right signs at home that he. He looks in good nick. He's moving very well, which is important for him. Um, and, you know, we're, we're hopeful of a big run, but he's he's coming there with a lot of questions to answer. But um, I'm sure Paul wouldn't be going there if he didn't think he could answer them. OK. It, when he runs badly, is it in his head or his body? Uh, very, very hard to answer. He's probably not the easiest horse to train. He's big. Um his breathing's bothered him a bit throughout his life. Um, but I suspect that a, a horse like him of his size that probably gives himself hard races may, maybe is a little bit in his body as well. I would suspect that um, 
his record fresh suggests that when he's not had a race for a while and he's on the on the back of a break, it's probably when to catch him. So it probably it probably does suggest that after he's had a run, he feels a few bits and bobs around his body. So um, hopefully being fresh and well um, off the back of a really, really good prep, we hope um, is the time to catch him. And uh, he obviously enjoyed Weatherby last season. Um, everything's gone well, so you know we we hope he can hope he can return to something like his best. Between now and Christmas is normally when when Paul Nichols wins a trainers championship. Really, he wins these great staging post races, which are worth a lot of money, and there are interesting entries in all of them. Entries out today for both the Cheltenham races and then, in, interestingly, the Ladbrokes Trophy at Newbury. I, I might I might start with with the Paddy Power though because. The horse that you've recently acquired, or relatively recently acquired, Laylor, looks one of the most interesting entries for that. Has this very much been his his big target? Yeah, we. I mean, it, it, it's a bit of a shot in the dark with him, isn't it? Really, because you're 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 hoping he comes back to form. He's had a breathing operation, which we sort of felt was um, hopefully the thing that was bothering him. Um, and, and since he's come to us, Touchwood, everything's been really good. He's He's training really nicely. He seems to be enjoying his work. He looks absolutely superb. Big, powerful, beautiful horse. Um, so, you, you know, we always thought that a, a trip, um, a race at an intermediate sort of distance would suit him. He's obviously run very well around Charlton before. Um, so, so that type of race naturally is what you look to. Um, hopefully the ground doesn't go too soft for him, but he's having a great preparation at the moment. And, you know, from quite a long way out now, we've been we've been aiming them at this race. And looking further down the track towards the the Ladbrokes Trophy, Newbury at the end of November, it'll be here before you know it. These are two horses that are sort of on the cusp between, I guess, championship type horses and handicaps. Next Destination and Enrillo. You you also mentioned Next Destination as a possible for the Betfair Chase at at Haydock. What's what what are you and Paul thinking at the moment? Yeah, I would say. Paul, Paul's thinking with next destination was we're just he's just in there as an option. I think first priority has always been the Betfair Chase because um, feel like um, um, the conditions of that race are normally you know quite testing ground, which is something that he enjoys. So he's he's in the Labrador Trophy as an option. Um, and Rillo, since he crossed the line, even however eventful it was after half an hour at Sunday, since he crossed the line. At Sandown, we we we've said that the Labrador Trophy is the race for him. Um, Paul has won it, as you well know, with horses that um, are sort of second season chasers. It is a race that suits those types of horses that are hopefully not fully exposed and improving. Um, we think that he's got, we think that he's got um, lots of ability. I mean, Sandown was an unfortunate sequence of events after sort of two out, but. Um, you know, we will have learned a lot about him that day. He's won round Newbury before. Touchwood, he's a really solid jumper. And he's the type of horse that you would think has the right profile for a race like the Labyrinth Trophy. And a nice, neat link to yesterday, because Enrillo's younger brother, half-brother, won at Chepstow, part of a treble for you. And there was something that united all three young horses that won, Harry, wasn't there? There was, yeah. It was, it's actually quite satisfying, really. Hugely satisfying day for us. Um, Know, sort of four years ago, um, Paul and Tom Malone, his bloodstock agent, um, who buys you know good majority of our horses, sort of set about buying a lot more stores because horses, you know, in point to points are becoming more and more expensive. Horses that win in France with 
very little sort of look at them or experience of becoming more expensive. So we set about buying, um, you know, stores at, at, at good money, but, um, you know, not, not ridiculous that with, with good pedigrees and they've all gone through Will Biddick's hands, um, who, who pre-trains all our youngsters for us. They spend a year with Will, um, as I say, pre-training and learning the ropes and little race course gallop in the spring and then join us in the summer of their four-year-old careers and, um, you know, Stage Star and Mr. Glass are now five going novice hurdling. They look to both have very bright futures. And as you said, Henry II, who's a half-brother to Enrillo, won his bumper on debut yesterday and, you know, looked looked another really exciting horse. But it's just very satisfying to see a process that Paul has put a lot of time, a lot of hours and a lot of effort into with Will um, paying off so nicely now. Harry Derham there. Now it's off to Hong Kong with Jim. Nick, Yes, it really is Wednesday at Sha Tin. And guess what? It's Happy Valley on Sunday. This really is Confused.com territory. Please note there are other comparison sites available. But any comparison site is also likely to direct you to the small print, which will give you the egg flip that this is for one week only. In fact, there are only three Wednesday fixtures at Chart in this season, and this is the first of them. I should point out, it is an all-dirt card. All eight races on the Chart in all-weather track, which is where the majority of horses in Hong Kong work and train every day. As all Hong Kong aficionados know, you look for dirt specialists on this sort of card. One that readily springs to mind is super fast to be saddled by Golden 60s trainer Francis Loy and to be ridden by Zach Purton, who is going to love it for the next couple of meetings with arch-enemy Joe Moreira on the sidelines under suspension. This is a Class 4 over 9 furlongs, which really stretches some of the weaker brigade. But it won't worry this fellow, he will relish the distance. Superfast is just the type you want in Hong Kong. He arrived with a promising profile. He had only one start in Ireland. He won a nice maiden fat trainer, Andy Slattery. And he bolted in over a mile and a quarter, winning by six and a half lengths. Not surprisingly, the handicapper didn't miss him on arrival. He got a relatively high rating that placed him in Class 3, and it was not until his 15th start that he broke through locally. It was on the dirt and over a mile. But he has now found his mark in the system, and following a good second on turf last start, it is time for him to go in again. If you're looking to have a bet, you could do worse than have a little on race five, number two, super fast to win and take him in a tote swinger with the dirt specialist, number three, party every day, and throw in number 12, London Lucky Star for other exotics. Earlier, Zach Purton also rides one of the big names on the dirt, Hong Kong Great, who will be a short price favourite to take race two, a mile handicap for class two, in which he'll come up against another good, uh, one with good all-weather form in King's Shield. Hong Kong Great was a multiple Group 1 winner in Chile and also raced in America before being snapped up for Hong Kong. On the chart in all weather, he has regularly lived right up to his name. He should win, but the odds might be a little too short, so he's won for the Akka. So that's it for this week. Don't forget, it's Happy Valley this Sunday. I must stick a posted note on my iPad. Okay, Shartin today, Happy Valley Sunday. Jim, I've got the memo. 
Right, with Breeders' Cup round the corner, it's worth just reminding you of the brilliant performance posted in the Breeders' Cup World Championships some years ago by Oscar Performance, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf champion at four. He set the world record at a mile on the turf at Belmont Park, 131.23. All races won without race day medication. He now... Uh, this horse by Kitten's Joy, out of theatrical mare, divine actress, stands with our friends at Mill Ridge Farm. And he's had a wonderful yearling season as well. Uh, Lee Mottishead was listening not only intently to Jim McGrath uh, and noting down what happens when in Hong Kong, but also to Harry Derham before him. And Lee, you had a particular ear cocked to Harry. Yes, well, I, I, I do always like to have some small anti-post investment uh, on the Paddy Power Gold Cup, Nick. Um, the one that stood out for me when the entries came out was Layla, um, who also I and many others um, have a real soft spot for. Um, he has had a disappointing uh, time uh, of late, um, but he's changed stables. And no matter what stable you're going from, if you're joining the stable of the champion trainer, Paul Nichols, you wouldn't be surprised if a horse found some uh, improvement horses often improve for change of scenery anyway so I thought Layla was really interesting for the Paddy Power Gold Cup and therefore to see or to hear Harry Derham uh, speaking so positively was most encouraging Nick particularly as my anti-post portfolio for the Melbourne Cup is is dwindling before <laughs> my very eyes. Um, let's have one for this afternoon then. Oh, so for this afternoon, I am going to go to to Taunton, um, and I'm looking in their 340 race, the Thatcher's Cider Handicap Hurdle. Not a drink I partake of, uh, I have to admit, but I'm going to go with number five, Gerard Mentor, trained by Kim Bailey, ridden by David Bass. Looks like potentially he might have some quirkiness um, within him, but um, I think the ability is definitely there. And if David Bass can channel it in the right way, I think Gerard Mentor could win the 340 at Taunton this afternoon. Do you know, Lee, I couldn't stand Thora Heard. You couldn't stand <laughs> Thora Heard? How could you not stand the lady, Nick, who came out with one of the great lines of television comedy in Pat and Margaret, the line, not on the Eider down, is one of the great comedy <laughs> lines. I will not hear a bad word said about the late, great Dame Thora. <laughs> well, I think that successfully um, hooked the big fish. More talking heads tomorrow. We'll see you again then. Bye bye. Yes, you're on, Margaret. I've loved you since the first minute you gave me extra gravy. You've given me care and comfort and a wonderful sex life. Come here. A sex life? You've had a sex life? Where have you had it? On your bed. Not on the Ida down. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.